Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. I'd like to introduce to the Backseat Driver Radio Show a young man called Dwight Mitchell of Mitchell & Son Additive Manufacturing. Their speciality, amongst other things, is reproducing uh, obsolete parts for classic cars, but they reproduce them using the latest 3D printing technology. Uh, and one of their first projects was the reversing light lens for a, a London bus. Good morning, Dwight. Welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Good morning, good morning, and um, thank you for having me on board. It's a pleasure. How did all this come about? Um, well, it's, uh, I'll, I'll just give a, a very short, brief history. Um, I'm obviously a, I did my apprenticeship as a mechanic and I've been in the engineering field for many years. I mean, and 3D printing kind of is um, a technology that was started in uh, 19 or the mid 80s, but in the last five or six years has become more commercialized. Yeah. So um, working in the engineering field, a lot, of, a lot more people started becoming more interested in 3D printing. So I set up a, uh, well, I, I set up a business uh, 2019 uh, um, doing 4-3D printing and um, web design. And I just put out, kind of put out my feelers there, uh, put out a few surveys um, of what the classic car market is, what's the biggest um, issue with um, spare parts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, just kind of put, putting myself out there, I had a contact from Rootmasters, they've They've been. They've got a problem where um, a lot of the um, buses, when they're reversing or they're driving in around town, they get, they, um, they they indicate a lot to get damaged. So he just asked me. He said to me, "Can you can you have a look at this and redes- uh, redraw it for us and redesign it?" So it's it's kind of um, happened in, in that regard. It's, it's just putting my feelers out there, contacting the classic car market, and um, because obviously I know one of the biggest issues when you've got a car that's uh, 20 years plus old or even even 15 years plus getting all the spare parts is is sometimes very very hard to come by um and it's it can be quite expensive so 3d printing i think is just a natural progression um into trying to fill that um obsolete um part uh, the, the, the spare part gap but it's, a, it's providing a service where um People can get, um, you know, the, the parts remade at a, at a reasonable rate and a reasonable price in very good quality material. Yeah, I mean, when you, when I conclude, you will start with an original part for you to be able to scan it or draw it or and input it into the computer in the first instance. So, you will, you, you have to have the original part to start with. I conclude. Um, but yes, I mean that is the, that is probably the ideal is to have an original part and then I can then um, create a model from that. Um, a lot of the times what I do get is, because, uh, you know, when, when a lot of the times when people do give me a part, it's because it's been damaged uh, yeah. over time, because it's wear and tear of the stuff. So it's, it's a, a lot of the time it's quite worn parts that will come to me and I'll have to then, it's, it's just re- redrawing, getting, getting the dimensions back. So as many dimensions as I can have of a part, I can. And there are a number of parts that I've had to just draw from an image. So yeah. people will take an image of a, or they'll find something on the internet and 
as long as I, as long as I can get as many dimensions as possible, yeah, um, I'm able to redraw that in CAD because we use Fusion 360 as our um, as our design software, yeah, um, to redraw that, and then it's then it's reproducing it. And I think the sorry. So no, carry carry on. No, I'm saying I think the beauty about having um, you know being able to redraw these in CAD and create 3D models is because. <laughs> For one, the stock will never run out. Because once you've got a three D model, you've got that for life, or yeah. as long as the as long as that um, technology is there. And with three D three D models, it, again, you don't necessarily only have to three D print with that because any CNC machine can read a three D model. Once you've once you've got that three D model, yeah. you give that to a three D uh, you know any CNC machinist or machining company. And they'll be able to then recreate that part from from a CAD model, from the 3D model, which is makes it so much more exciting than in the past when it was just 2D drawings. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, I conclude for 3D printing. Um, what sort of materials can you use? I mean, you mentioned uh, CNC, so I conclude that can be reproduced in metal. What? What? I conclude the world is your oyster as to what you can reproduce these parts from. I mean, I think there is a, obviously 3D printing does have some limits, um, but the, the range of material is is quite extensive and it's it's growing. That's, a, that's again, another beauty of the whole 3D printing and using th the 3D printing technology is because um, it's, it's an ever evolving industry and the materials are ever, ever evolving into what can be used. Yeah. But to answer your question, um, you can print it in well PLA, which is a biodegradable um, byproduct of stone of of, of um, corn. Yeah. Um, and then, but then you get ABS plastic. You've got um, PET PETG, which is the the plastic most garden um, uh, tools are made out of. Right. Uh, you've got uh, carbon fiber. You've got glass fiber. You've got um, um, polycarbonate you've got resin you've got resin infused with carbon uh, then you've got you've got merged steel you've got inconel you've got titanium you've got copper bronze um, <laughs> so there's there's pretty much i mean what but once you go i mean the the metal side of 3d printing at this stage is still relatively expensive yeah. if you compare it part for part so if you're reproducing a metal part because you know Traditionally, when um, when when a part is made, it's made in mass, so they can then sell the individual parts relatively cheap. Yeah. Where three D printing, it's a one for one, and it's, it is still quite expensive. Yeah. If you look at it from part for part, but I, I do believe that is going in the next five to ten years. That is going to drastically drop. Yeah. Um, and I don't think three D printing will completely get rid of traditional manufacturing. But I do think it's going to, it is going to, well, the classic car market, it is going to be such a benefit to the classic car market. I think the other thing is, as you said, though, to produce a one-off component will be expensive compared to mass-produced. But if somebody's looking for that one item to finish the restoration of the classic car, in many respects, given what a lot of people will have spent restoring their car, 
to yeah. pay quite a lot of money for, shall we say, some lenses or, or a vital component. Yeah. Um, they will bite the bullet and probably pay you to do it, won't they? Because, I mean, without that, the car will not be complete in their eyes. Exactly. No, um, the, the composite plastic material, yeah, uh, composite 3D plastic material is, is relatively cheap. Um, so anything anything made in um, any of the plastic materials or the resin materials, that is still that is relatively cheap. You're, yeah. you're looking at uh, it's it's when you start going to the metals that it starts becoming quite expensive. But yeah. the plastic um, to reproduce parts in plastic, you look you, you know from from about twenty five twenty five thirty quid up. Right. So it's 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 they're not expensive. Yeah. Um, from the from the composite plastic perspective and the resin perspective um it's just when you start going into metal that it does start getting a little bit expensive yeah at this stage um but yeah i mean it's it's you know it is it is an exciting technology it is an exciting time to be in to be have to be able to um keep i mean because if you look at you know there's so many cars i, I love to watch that um Barn finds. Yes, where where people travel around the country and around the world, and they find these beautiful classic cars stuck in a bush or in a barn. <laughs> or and, and you think, you think, oh my days! You know that is that is heritage. That is beauty. You know the, the thing and thing if I find like, that excites me about it is the fact that um, you know those old cars nowadays it's all electronic, especially as we start moving to more of ele electrical cars. Yeah. But the older cars were, to me, is um, engineering excellence. And to be able to have those things um, as a heritage, something that, that we could still show our grandchildren and, and, you know, and say, look, this is, this is what they drove uh, in 1940 or something like that. Um, I mean, I was, I was having a chat with, some, with a group of people the other day, and they, they were all getting excited over the, this whole electric car thing. I said to him, but you do realize the first electric car was went into mass production in 1870. Yeah. So, oh, wow, no, we didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's, that's the thing is, we, if those cars were kept alive and, and the cars that we have now are kept alive through modern technology, I think that, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the other thing is you talk about the old cars and modern cars and electric cars. As cars, modern cars now and especially electric cars, from my point of view, I'm an electric car sceptic. I, re I regard them as something to be used locally. Little Small ones, use them as local, knock them out, fantastic. That's what they're meant for. But the one thing is, they all look alike. Electric cars, they look like it's a normal car that they've put an, an electric motor in. But pure electric cars, and most modern cars, are all starting to look alike. And that's the one thing about the classics. Every old car was individual in its looks. And you could tell what the make of, make of the car was from quite a yeah. long way away. I mean, I mean that's true because um, you know when I drive with my wife, my wife and family, we're gonna we're gonna drive in it. When I see the older cars coming, I can tell the make. And she said, "How do you know what they make they are?" I said, "Because you can tell. Yeah, you, you can see the shape." No, and like you said, no, it's difficult to say. Um, but you could, you, like, you know, you could drive down the road and just by the shape of cars, oh, that's an Austin, or that's yeah. a, that's a Triumph, that, or the, here comes a Ford. They yeah, can, um, you can't really do that nowadays. Um, you know, my dad was when I was growing up. He used to always 
um, if all, all our friends, their families used to buy all these brand new cars. And But my dad would always go and buy something like an Austin Cambridge yeah. in 1950. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and, you know, and we would say, you know, our friends say, oh, your dad's got a new car. So, well, what does it look like? And then you never seen one before. But it's this beautiful little old Austin Cambridge. You bring it home, do up the engine. Our next door neighbor uh, was a mechanic when we were growing up. So he had helped my father fix these cars up and he had keep them for about five or six years and then sell them on and buy something else. And, yeah. You know, but nowadays, like you say, you, you're driving around and, you, and it's like the BMW looks like the Audi and the Audi looks like the Merc and the yeah. Merc looks like, you know, the Tesla. So you're kind of thinking, yeah, okay, where's the individual? And, and it's, it's like you look at those older cars and the, the personality of the designer is in them. It's, it's like older buildings. Yeah. The, the the personality of the designer is in there. You can see the type of person that um, you know those people were yeah. by what they designed. Where now it's just all just mass produced. Yeah. Um, and very quickly, I mean, if if I wanted say a, a light lens producing by you how long roughly how long does it take to manufacture one to say you've already got the drawings and everything else when you set the printer off how long yeah. does it take the printer to do this if, if i had nothing else on the printer um and depending on the size of the lens say like that um uh, rootmaster lens yeah if there's nothing else on the machine and i put it on the machine it'll can take up to 12 to 24 hours to print right depending depending on the speed and the settings that i put on yeah um but when i've got uh, quite a bit running i normally my, my normal thing is i say seven to ten days because right i can fit it in at, 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 in that time but that's also the beauty of of having the electronic um models 3d models is if you have a specific item say say let's say a speedo gear yeah. for your car um, and some some of the makes like the Ford Anglia, they have about four different variations of the speedo model of yeah. the speedo drive. I can do one drawing, but then when you come to me and say, "Look, I'd like you to make this," but there's a, a few alterations. It takes it takes a half a day for me just to modify those. Yeah. Where in the in the in the traditional method, it it'll take you half a month to modify that. Yeah. Um, so that's the beauty also of having the electronic 3D models. Well, the one thing when we were talking before uh, before we went on air was you were steering wheels for high-performance cars. And you commented, you said, well, if, if I print one off and the manufacturer says, oh, that would be great, but it just needs this doing, it needs that doing, instead of having to completely retool as the manufacturing and the automotive manufacturing industry has always had to do, yeah. it's a case of you sit down and just modify it on the uh, on the computer. Exactly, exactly. And that's a, that's the beauty of it. So, like I said, you know, with a, with a steering wheel, with, with anything, if um, you want it modified traditionally, You'd have to go remake all the tuning, all the patterns, um, and, it, and it can be really costly to yeah. to do that and very time consuming. Where um, you know you come to me today and say, "Look, this is what I want." I draw it. You say, "Well, actually, I, that's not. I need you to modify, make a modification here." It takes an hour, hour yeah. and a half to modify it. It's done. 
then you, then you put it back on the you put it back on the um, machine and reprint it. It might take. So I mean, some prints it varies varies on the size of the print, but some prints can take uh, a couple of hours. Some might take two or three days to print. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I recently printed some wheel hub um, for a Land Rover. Yeah. And that was a forty-eight hour print, but the first print that came out. Um, I needed to modify it because I made the, the bolt hole slightly the, the wrong size. Yeah. Modified it, took me half an hour to modify it and, and then reprint it. So yeah. You, so you couldn't do that traditionally. Traditionally, you wouldn't be able to do that, even if you had that injection molded. And the cost, the costs involved to do that would be massive. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's where the beauty of, beauty of 3D printing um, goes. And I know... You know, go, even keeping restoring, I do know of companies that are um, electrifying classic cars. Yeah, putting ripping the engines out and putting electric. Uh, so you, I think that. By the way, don't start me on that. It's not something I agree with. <laughs> no, it, it's not. I mean, I walked the first time I saw it. I was at a show, um, and I saw a Beetle because I had a I had a little a badger bug when I was a, yeah. when I was a, a young lad, and I saw this Beetle and the the back was open and I walked to the back and there was no engine. I thought, oh, I'm really disappointed now. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. There's no engine. What have, we, what have you done? <laughs> um, so, but it's, it's um, uh, in in a way, it still keeps those, the, the classic, the beauties on the road. Yeah. Um, you know, because of, you know, the government wants to do the silly thing about banning cars in 2030, you know, fossil fuel. Yeah. But, so the, I mean, yeah. So it's still it's still a way of keeping. It, it um, will keep it will keep the classics rolling, of course. Sorry, say that again. It will, of course, keep the classic cars rolling, doing that to them. Yeah. The problem I mean, is, it, it, it takes the spirit away. You, st I've seen an XK120, a Jaguar. Um, no matter what they tell me, you will never ever convince me that an electric motor is an improvement over that beautiful no. straight six three point eight that it would normally have under its bonnet. No, because I mean, you, you, you think of it like um, Mustang has, has bought out the new electric car and it looks beautiful. But when you start that engine, you don't get that V8 blasting that power out the back. Yeah, and that's that's what I that's what I would miss. Yeah, is, is being able to turn on a car and you just hear that. You know, it's, it's, I went up to when they had, after the second. Um, you know, when they had the. After the first lockdown, there was a show up in um, Oxford yeah. where they had all these really, the uh, vintage classic car club was up there. Um, and listening, just standing listening to those uh, straight six engines. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's beautiful. But you, you, you won't get that with electric cars. I don't know how they're going to do that. And they said put big boosters out the back, you know, just... They'll, they'll put yeah. they'll put some speakers in there and it'll play it'll play a, it'll play something out of it. So you'll be able to get something for your iPhone or your your smart oh, device right. that will play play it out of iTunes for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the same, is it? No, no, it, it's not the same. But I noticed you mentioned Mustangs. You're a Mustang man, aren't you? I'd, I'd, well, I'm I'm a trade supporter for Ford Mustang. Um, and I'm a trade supporter for the um, Federation of British Historic Vehicles. Um, so yeah, so I don't actually own a Mustang, but I do love them. Yeah, I do, I do love my my dad again. My love for Ford is always coming from my father because 
one of the things he always loved was Cortina. Yeah. Um, so he, he, most of our lives, he always had an old Ford Cortina. Um, and it's a beautiful, big straight six engine, um, you know, beautiful sounding. When you stand behind it, the power of the engine, yeah. pumping on your chest. Yeah, it's, that's, that's what I love about the old, especially the, the like the straight six or the V8s, yeah. uh, the V12s, those, those massive thumping. Um, <laughs> you know, I just love it. My wife hates it because if I'm driving down, if we're going down the road um, and we come to a traffic light and a V8 or V6 um, or even a Harley Davidson pops yeah. up next to us, I turn the radio off and I open all the windows. Just, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? I said, shh, I want to listen. <laughs> Or if you go through a tunnel, if you do something, if you if a V8 comes past you, so say something like a V8 or a V12 Ferrari comes past you in a tunnel, an old one, you slow down and put the windows down just to listen yeah. to it come past you. Yeah, my, my wife's like, why are you doing that? I, like, I want to hear, I want to hear. Now, you mentioned, like, the small plastic gears on an Anglia Speedo drives. I conclude what you reproduce will be a far better quality because some of these little plastic gears that were fitted to cars in the 60s and 70s were well known for failing on quite a frequent basis. I conclude you take the original and then reproduce it in a material that will give it longevity. It will last a, far, a, a lot longer. Um, yes, uh, and that's things, you know, polycarbonates are very, very strong, enduring plastic. And uh, so when it comes to gears, I would make, I would reproduce it in a polycarbonate. Yeah. Um, or there's a, another, another plastic, which is a, a very high um, performance plastic called Assa, yeah. which is very similar to, it's, it's a polycarbonate, but it's a strengthened polycarbonate. Yeah. So, um, so it's just got, I, I, again, I, I'll have to, I don't have the data sheet in front of me for acid, but it is a very, very strong, high enduring plastic. And yeah. It will last for a very, very long time. Um, and it can, and it can withstand relative high temperatures. So yeah. obviously not, if you put it, you know, obviously all plastic's going to end up melting if you, if you, um, expose it to too high a pressure. Yeah. But, um, but assays are very, very good. I mean, and even 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 taking something like PETG, which I said is like the, all your plastic, you know, your, all your garden plastic stuff. Yeah. Um, but you think at PETG, which is infused with carbon fiber, which really gives it a very, very good high tensile strength yeah. for plastic. Um, because obviously, I mean, and the carbon fiber, it's not, Carbon fiber strands. It's a, it's a carbon fiber dust, right? Kind of, which kind of works differently um, to the carbon fiber strands. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know how much you know about carbon fiber strands and the and carbon, carbon fiber that I know is what most people are used to seeing, which is like the woven carbon fiber that is then put into an autoclave and baked. But it, it's like a woven effect. But I'd never heard of carbon fiber dust. Yeah, so what they do, it, it's the same. It's the same principle. Yeah. But they they will take they will um, put the carbon fiber in resin, um, cure it, and then they grind it to a fine powder dust. Yeah. Which gives it which gives it that same um, strength. But when you when you infuse that into plastic or into another material, 
it adds the the tensile and increases the the tensile strength yeah. and wear of that. Um, so you've got the same. You end up with very similar strengths to um, a wrapped carbon fiber. Right. Because obviously carbon. The way you were mentioning it is that when they they have to wrap it because they wrap a, a tube or wrap a pole in a certain direction. Yeah. And by the angle of that, it gives it that strength. Where carbon fiber dust probably um, wouldn't wouldn't work on a on a pole or something. But if you're making something small, um, it it really it, it gives it massive strength. Yeah. It does. And I conclude, besides doing it for classic cars, um, you will be able to take components fitted to modern cars and make them even better. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's, um, I focus on the classic car market because um, obviously there is a bigger need there for, to close the space gap. Um, but I, I do a lot of bespoke 3D printing for modern cars um, and for very, very other, you know, Various other people ask me for all kinds of random things sometimes. Yeah. But um, yeah, my yeah, yeah, being able to being able to just close that space gap um, is why is my purpose for um, focusing on the classic car market. Yeah. I did a survey a couple of weeks, about a, a few months ago, within the different classic car um, clubs to um, you know just to just to see where they are and how. What their biggest prob- what their biggest struggle is, yeah. And their biggest struggle is one of the biggest struggles that came out was the fact that getting hold of spares um, because it is it is really really difficult, yeah. Um, and this is this is my what my desire is is to be able to um, to meet that need um, and to close that gap, yeah. I mean, are there any components that you think, right, well, I get asked for those a lot, so I will reproduce a few of them and have some in stock? I don't generally hold stock. Right. Because of, because of the fact because of the fact that 3D printing, I can turn them around in a, in a relatively quick time. Yeah. I don't hold stock. Um, it's, just, it's just a zero stock holding yeah. policy that I hold because of the fact... I can make, you know, you give me something to do and you want it by the end of the, you know, in a week's time. Yeah. I could probably get it to you, um, depending on the size of it. So yeah. It's, it's not, a, it's not a, yeah, I don't think it's a, there is no need to hold stock. Right. So, um, just out of interest, what's the most popular thing you are asked for? The, the most popular thing is actually um, little... Um, speedo drive gears. <laughs> so I've had I've had um, a request from um, Ford Anglia. Yeah. Uh, where I've got a couple of gears which I'm busy making for them now. Um, I've had a uh, oh, the other clubs has gone on my head. Uh, so uh, oh, oh, here we go. So for the Sunbeam Talbot. All oh, right. Yeah. I've done two gears for them I'd, I'd reproduce some stuff in resin for them um, small little gears um, yeah. because apparently the Sunbeam Talbot Club um, the, the guy was telling me that most of the Sunbeams now drive around with the electronic speedos yeah. because these little these little speedo drives fail um, and there is no, re- no, no replacement for them Yeah. so um, I had 
two two of them which I've redrawn. Um, and yeah, so that, that's that is probably the most common thing that people are coming to me and saying, "Can you redraw these gears for me?" So I've had I've had about five or six different types of gears that I've had to redraw. So the benefit is then they'll be able to remove the electronic speedo and put them back to how they actually should look. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Yeah. And I conclude as well, if somebody wants to, shall we say, re restore a classic car or modify a classic car, especially for, say, the world of racing, if somebody wants to race their classic car in the historic series and certain components need to be replaced with higher quality so they will last longer, that's something you'll be able to do. You can turn around and say, well, that's how it normally is. Since it doesn't have to look exactly like it did when the car was a road car, I can you can alter the colours and do a variety of things to make it that it will be far more suitable to go into an historic racing car, historic rally car. Oh yes, I mean it's, it's a, again the beauty of um, the three D printing is because you can you can modify it to whatever you want. Um, yeah. and even if it is a very and and I know these lot these um, you know, the racing cars and the rally cars yeah they they would modify stuff completely out of production standard yeah um and that yeah that's very very simple with um, 3d printing as long as, as like i said yeah as long as um i can redraw it with as many dimensions as possible yeah um yeah so people give me give me a drawing but then they give me as many dimensions as possible yeah um that is that I can do that um, as well. I mean, I've had a yeah, I had a, had a guy come to me last week recently, um, and uh, and said to me, look, he's got a he's got some parts for an um, old Model T Ford. Oh right. That he wants, re and he he said he had the original part, but he said this is so rare, I don't want to leave it. I don't want to <laughs> leave it with you. I said, no, I, said, I, I said that's fair enough. So I just took images, drew it. And took as many dimensions as possible. Yeah, and then I can sit down and redraw that. Right. So I conclude then. Besides drawing, you are you will be able to scan the actual item as well. Yes, I, I do have a I have a small scanner, um, but there are scanners out there which um, we can then hire and use them for even scanning an entire vehicle. Yeah. Um, so all you know, and complete engine block. So there are there are three D scanners out there which can um, do almost you know really incredible stuff and the detail of the scanners is very very good yeah uh, you know they, it picks up it picks up minor minor dimensions or dimensions that are really really hard to uh, measure properly yeah um, so the scanners the scanners scanning technology is very very good um, I've only got a small scanner because a lot of the parts that I do. Are very are small smallish parts. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that I can't um, get hold of other scanners and and print and you know scan bigger, larger parts, even whole cars if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's incredible what you can do now with the technology. It's, it's absolutely mind-boggling. So you were saying like you could do a, a cylinder head or a block or something like that. I conclude to reproduce. Uh, um, shall we say a modern version of an old cylinder head once it's scanned you'll be able to reproduce it then with say the old casting marks in it and things like that you'll, it will look extremely authentic oh yeah oh yes no definitely um, and uh, like a, um, a cylinder head which would, would be made out of um, aluminium 
you can 3D print in aluminium. So it's again, you could scan it completely and it would have all the marks, all the, uh, you know, all the, like you said, the machine marks, the casting marks and all that kind of stuff on it. Yeah. 3D print it um, in, in an aluminium. Um, so they, so yes, you can 3D print in aluminium, and it, and it will give you the same, and it's the same tensile tensile strength. A lot of people um, have come to me and they said, "Is the aluminium that you use for um, 3D printing the same tensile strength?" So I've got all the um, I've got all the data sheets on those to be able to to show that. The, the aluminium is the same tensile strength, and the, the the way the way metal 3D printing works is slightly different. Well, it's quite a lot different to the way um, desktop printing works because 3D printing metal works with laser synthesizing. So, in other words, it it's to put it in a very simple term, it's like it's it, the, all the metal is powder again. Yeah, um, and it it'll. It's like welding all those powder bits together, so it will right. weld them in layers. Yes, it, it uses a very high, um, very extremely high temperature laser yeah. to yeah, just to laser those all in um, in layers. And does and a good thing. I mean, you know, and people think, well, okay, that's what what the benefit of that is. You have instead of um, the traditional way where you had loss of material, where you take a big lump of metal yeah. and you remove, so you've got quite a, quite a high level of waste. Yeah. 3D printing in metal or in plastic or composite, um, you, ha you you there's very minimal wastage. Right. So, so it's, you know, I know everyone's um, very, um, you know, very interested in trying to save the planet and save the environment. 3D printing technology, uh, you have a but 80 to 90% reduction in waste. Right. So, so basically, the powders that the printer uses are the equivalent of ink in a normal printer. Uh, no, no. no. Uh, the, the, powder, the, um, the powder that they would use in... Um, in metal 3D printing, it's just it's just the it's the um, it's a it's a metal powder dust. Yeah. So it's just like um, it's like flour, like a bag of flour. Yeah. If to put it like that, so it's like pouring a bag of flour into a um, into a void. Yeah. And then the laser then will, according to the drawing, only only laser together the parts that are needed. Yeah. Um, and then you you kind of dust it off. You have to dust it off. There, there's a lot of um, post processing um, that needs to be done. But it's it's putting it in a very simple term. That's how it is. It's just taking a bag of flour, molding it all together, uh, making a cake. You know, yeah. instead of baking <clears throat> instead of baking a cake and mixing everything together, this is just this is just baking a cake in layers. Right. Um, so and it, it's part. Of, so it's not. So no, it's not. It's not. Um, ink in a pen at all it's um, it's yeah just welding with laser at very very high temperature um, the, the the metal components or the metal dust yeah that's putting it very simply and I, I know there's a lot more technical and there's probably a lot of people who would listen to this and they say uh, <laughs> it's a lot more technical to it yeah so it, it's a it's far far more technical and more far more in depth than just simply that but that's putting it very simply. So ultimately, then, you could, if you ignore the expense of it, 
3D print an entire engine and all its components? You you could. You, you, and I know there are companies that, that do do that, um, mostly in the States. Yeah. Um, but there are companies, I mean, there, there was a company in the States um, that 3D printed a complete um, boat. <laughs> so it's one of the largest 3D printers in the world. Where they, um, and not only that, what's that um, space company, uh, 3, 3X or 3, MX or whatever? Yeah. They've developed and designed a 3D printer to print their space rockets. Right. So they can 3D print an entire space rocket cone. The, the nose cone for their space rockets completely 3D printed. So basically, there's nothing that a 3D printer cannot print. You just use the right materials for it to print it for you. It, it's it's using the right uh, materials um, and the right type of printer because um, 3D printing is uh, probably as vast and as varied as any type of um, technology. Yeah. To be fair, because you you get your basic. Uh, desktop printing then you get your more advanced industrial desktop printing and it, it varies so and you've got you've got uh, the different terminologies that are used so you'll have FDM SLA S, um, SLS which is different types of technology for different variants um, and crazy enough you can even print food oh which which they which they are 3d printing in labs now I mean they've I know that they in America they've um, come up with the technology and the method to 3D print steaks in a in a laboratory. Yeah. So, you, so yeah. So it is it's very very varied and uh, very it's very exciting um, technology. Yeah. It's just interesting though that the latest technology is being used to keep classic cars on the road, which is, and which is something that is a passion of yours. Yeah. It, it's it is, and it, it's I, I just think it. Well, I mean. One, the one thing I love, um, I love history. Yeah. So uh, I love, I love Eng one. The biggest thing I love about England is there are so many old buildings around. Yeah. Because it, 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 it makes, it makes the past a reality. Yeah. So being able to keep classic cars on the road and um, restored to the to the original standard, it keeps that. Um, <laughs> the reality of those people that lived in that period alive. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I love. And, and the engineering is just, like I said, it's, it's for me, the, the engineering of the older cars um, was, it, it was engineering excellence. It was, it was, um, it's an art. Yeah. It's not just something you bang out like um, sausages off of, off of, off of, off of, you know, food line. Yeah. There was there was a real art to developing those cars back then. Um, where now now it is just mass produced and it's just trying to make as much money and as quickly as possible. Where then I think it's um, you know very much it was an art. It was a love that people had, and you can see that in the designs and you can see that in the in the way that those vehicles are developed um, over time. How how much passion they had and how much love they had for those old cars now if somebody wants to get in touch with you about having something printed uh how do they get in touch with uh, with dwight mitchell and mitchell and some okay um 
my well, they can drop me an email at info at michelinson.co.uk. Um, they can call me on my virtual landline, which is 023-8124-4996. That is linked directly to my mobile, yep. which is 07876-131539. So that's the, the best way, or even uh, through my website, because I have a lot of contact forms on the website where people can contact me directly, which, which is how a lot of people do contact me. Um, and um, as, you, as we started with this discussion, how um, the, the guys from um, Routemasters buses got hold of me was through my website contact form. Which is, what's your, what is your website? Ah, it's Mitchell, mitchellsun.co.uk. So that's Mitchell with two L's, two S's. So it's M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-S-O-N.co.uk. Right. Dwight Mitchell, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you, especially on a subject I know next to nothing about. But once again, Dwight, thank you very much for joining me here on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. It's been an absolute pleasure and a fascination chatting to you. No, it's, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, like I said, I, I could probably ramble. I, I probably do ramble. <laughs> <laughs> once again, Dwight, no, thanks. It's been good being on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks very much indeed, Dwight. Take care.